This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, I've got a terrific program lined up for you, and what I'm going to talk about, I think, is especially timely given all the volatility that we've seen in the market this year. If you have an IRA or a 401k, certainly taking a look at bond yield spiking, taking a look at the volatility that has been existing in the stock market is enough to obviously make you very nervous. I'm going to talk about where the market is today from my perspective, and I'm going to chat about it also with my special guest today, Mr. Murray Gunn. I was able to catch up with Murray from his offices in the UK this past week and do an interview with him. Murray is a market analyst with Elliott Wave, and he's also an expert in the science of socionomics. So we're going to get his take on where the markets are headed as well. All this month, I am offering a free report titled The Changing Face of Long-Term Medical Care. You can get your copy of that free report by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. When you go to the website, just let me know your name and address so I know where to mail the report, and I'll be glad to do so at no cost or obligation to you. And when you request the report, you'll also get bonus information, including my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, which contains a retirement planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy. And the revenue sourcing planning strategy, I believe, is especially relevant uh, given where stocks and bonds are as we start 2022. So again, requestyourreport.com to get all that free information. Now, in my Portfolio Watch weekly newsletter, and if you're not yet a subscriber to that weekly e-newsletter, uh, there's no reason not to be. All you have to do to subscribe is go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, get us your email address, and we will get you your complimentary copy of the newsletter every Monday at 5 p.m. Now, this past week, I talked about the fact that when you analyze where stocks are from a technical perspective, so when you look at a stock price chart, it seems that we may have seen a double stock, double top pattern in stocks to finish 2021. Now, if you don't know anything about technical analysis, a double top pattern is often a bearish pattern. And it seems given the market activity of this past week that that may still be the case here. Now, Egon von Greyerts, who is one of the analysts that uh, I really enjoy following, wrote a terrific piece this past week, and I commented on it in my Portfolio Watch newsletter. And I want to give you just a bit from that piece and also give you some commentary. Mr. von Greyerts writes that it's his view that the year 2022 will likely be the culmination of risk. He says, an epic risk moment in history that very few investors will see until it is too late, as they expect to be saved yet another time by the Fed and other central banks. After all, Von Greyerts writes, why should anyone believe that 2022 will be different from any year since 2009 when this bull market started? Few investors are superstitious and therefore won't see that 13 spectacular years in stocks and other asset markets might signify an end to the epic super bubble. Now, Von Greyerts makes a terrific point. See, the currency creation policies, the quantitative easing policies being pursued by world central banks, 
really were set into motion after the great financial crisis. And Von Greyerts points out in his article that the great financial crisis, the problems that caused the great financial crisis, were never repaired. He says, quote, central bankers and governments patched Humpty up with glue and tape in the form of printed trillions of dollars, euro, yen, etc., but poor Humpty Dumpty was fatally injured, and the intensive care he received would only give him a temporary reprieve. Now get this, Von Greyerts said when you add up global debt, well, global debt in 2006 was $120 trillion, and today global debt levels are at $300 trillion. But it doesn't stop there. Von Greyerts points out that when you add up global debt, unfunded liabilities, and derivatives, you get a number close to $3 quadrillion. That's almost impossible to imagine. Three quadrillion dollars. Well, those liabilities can obviously never be paid. So at some point, all this has to unwind. Von Greyerts says it's amazing what fake money made of just air can achieve. Even better, of course, is that the central banks have manipulated interest rates to zero or below, which means the debt is issued at zero or even negative cost. Well, zero interest rate debt or negative interest rate debt is obviously a very favorable kind of debt. Von Greyerts says that because of these policies, investors now believe they're in Shangri-La, where markets can only go up. And they can only live in eternal bliss. If you understand that the increase of global debt since 2006, which I just described to you, is the fuel that has driven investment markets. As I've often talked about here on the program, bubbles cannot exist without easy credit. Put another way, easy credit is the fuel that drives and inflates bubbles. Now, if you just take a look at what stock indices have done since these policies have started, the NASDAQ since 2008 is up 16-fold. The S&P 500 is up 7-fold. The Dow is up 6-fold. And, of course, if you zero in on individual stocks, there's even more spectacular gains. Tesla, for example, up 352-fold. Apple up 62-fold. Now, Von Greyerd says these types of gains have very little to do with skillful investments. In other words, these are not, these gains are not the result of skillful investment. In fact, Warren Buffett has a saying that you never want to confuse brains and a bull market. Von Greyerd says these gains have little to do with skillful investment, but mainly with a herd that has more money than cents, fueled by paper money printed at zero cost. Now, Von Greyerd says to call a top here is difficult. To, to say it the way Von Greyerd did in the piece, and I quote, to call the end of a secular bull market is a mugs game, and there's nothing that stops this bubble from growing bigger However, in the last segment of today's program, I'm going to talk to you about valuations, and you will see exactly how extended this is.
Von Grayard says we have to remember the bigger the bubble grows, the greater the risk is of it totally wiping out not just all the gains since 2009, but also since the early 1980s when the current bull market started. He said the problem is also that it will be impossible for the majority of investors to get out. Initially, they'll believe this is another correction, just like the corrections that occurred in 2020, 2007, 2000, 1987. So greed, which is a very powerful emotion, will stop these investors from getting out, at least initially. But then Von Grayard said, as the fall continues and fear sets in, the only more the only emotion that's more powerful than greed is fear. So Von Grayard says, once the fear sets in, investors will set a limit higher up where they intend to get out. Well, I'm just going to wait for the market to get back to here. Then I'll get out. But Von Grayard says when the market never gets there, the scared investor will continue to set limits that are never reached until the market reaches bottom at 80 to 95% from the top. And that, Von Grayard said, is how paper fortunes will be wiped out. And he says you have to remember it can take a very long time before the market recovers to the high in real terms. Now, billionaire Ray Dalio published a chart this past week that makes this point incredibly well. If you take a look at the 1929 high in the Dow, it was not recovered in midterms, in real terms rather, until the mid-1960s. From 1929, for almost 40 years, the market did not recover in real terms. And in real terms, new highs were not achieved until 2000. That's 71 years. It took 71 years to recover in real terms when you adjust for the devaluation of the currency in real terms. So I want to ask you a question. Assuming Mr. Von Greyerts is right, assuming Ray Dalio is right, are you prepared? If not, I would encourage you to request this month's free report and all the bonus information. You can go to requestyourreport.com, give me your name and address, and I will send you a box of information absolutely free and with no future obligation. In the box of information will be this month's special report titled The Changing Face of Long-Term Medical Care. You'll also get a complimentary copy of my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, which gives you strategies to consider in today's environment in light of what we just talked about in this segment. So again, requestyourreport.com. To get the report and the bonus information, requestyourreport.com. I will be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest, Mr. Murray Gunn. Longtime listeners probably recognize Murray as uh, a market analyst with Elliott Wave International. 
And uh, Murray, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Dennis. It's uh, great to be here. So, Murray, uh, I should point out that your offices are in the, the UK, um, and it's just as cold there as it is here in West Michigan as I'm talking to you uh, this morning. Uh, but that said, for our listeners maybe that are not aware of what Elliott Wave is and what your organization does, and, and a bit about your mission, if you could, please. Sure. Well, um, today, you know, Elliott Wave International is the largest uh, independent technical analysis firm uh, in the world with uh, the Elliott Wave principle as our core model. So we, we cover every major financial index uh, in the world um, around the clock, and uh, you know, many of our publications have won uh, awards um, in their category. Uh, and what really differentiates us, uh, us from everyone else is that we don't really take our lead from you know, Federal Reserve policy, um, news headlines, presidential elections, or you know, the latest kind of economic statistics. In fact, uh, we forecast the forces uh, from the markets that produce those outcomes so, um, so we and our subscribers can expect them to happen. So... Murray, uh, and I should mention also that uh, for listeners that would like to learn more about the Elliott Wave principle, they can go to ElliottWave.com, and you have graciously offered to give any listener that would like it a free book on the topic. So again, that's ElliottWave.com. So Murray, as we are now moving into 2022 with almost a month in the books, it, it seems to me, just looking at this, that uh, stocks may be beginning to break down in earnest. What does your analysis tell you? It, it certainly points in that way for um, certainly for the U.S. Uh, indices and for the European indices. The, the Asian indices are, are a little bit more mixed. Um, but our view in general, Dennis, remains that uh, the bounce in, in the global stock market uh, the global stock market index, of, of which the U.S. is the dominant weighting um, from the 2020 you know, pandemic lockdown lows, it, it, our view is it's the final rally in a multi-decade bull market, um, and that 2021 could really have marked the, the, an historic juncture in that uh, topping process. I think um, you know I, I maybe mentioned the last time, but our main thesis is, is that. The global economy has been going through an incredible period of change over the last couple of decades, and you know global leadership has really been changing from from west to to east, and that may sound a little bit strange given the, the performance of the stock markets. But um, the, the super cycle super cycle topping processes involve different stages, and of course China has been changing you know a lot uh, over the last year, um, as your listeners will be aware. But I think all of this sets the stage for what's coming next, and. It, you know, it's worth reminding uh, the listeners that the, the Japanese stock market topped out 31 years ago. And, and you know, that's 30 plus years of a bear market. I mean, can anyone really imagine that happening in America? Well, you know, our view is why not? Because it, you know, it's happened in Japan, so why can't it happen in America or, the, or, or Europe? In fact, you know, if you look at the European markets, the Eurozone stock market has essentially gone sideways for. 21 years, and the Chinese stock market peaked out, you know, 14 years ago. And so, over the past decade or so, it's really only been America that's been, it's been the last man standing, so to speak, 
in this great, what we think is a great super cycle top. Uh, but if our analysis is correct, then that's you know about to change because the um, yeah, U.S. stock market is close to turning down. If not, it's turning down already into a bear trend, which could be quite dramatic and result in uh, a period of what we think is coming as debt deflation. So, Murray, when you use the term a super cycle top, can you explain what that is in the context of your Elliott Wave analysis work? Sure. So the Elliott Wave principle is um, is a fractal-based model of the economy uh, discovered by uh, a man called Ralph Elliott in the 1930s. And he discovered that human herding uh, behavior really causes markets, like the stock market, which is a, a leading indicator of the economy. You know, the OECD used the stock market as one of their key components in, in their leading indicators. Um, so it's leading the indicator of the economy. And what he discovered was that uh, these um, patterns of, of uh, herding behavior, they exhibit certain identifiable and repeatable patterns, uh, and that these patterns repeat at every time scale. And so it enables cycles of herding behavior really to be anticipated from the short term to the very long term. So um, what he recognized was that uh, there are various um, uh, time fractals involved, and so a, a, a very short-term cycle would be something, if you're looking at a minute-by-minute chart, and a, a super cycle would be something that lasts maybe decades or even centuries. So, Murray, you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, we are likely nearing the end of a multi-decade bull market. So, as we enter this deflationary period that, that you're forecasting, uh, what do stock markets look like moving ahead in your view? Well, it's going to be very tricky for them, you know, and, and of course, um, you know, the, the last year has been, the, the focus really has been on consumer and producer price inflation, uh, which has been the, the, the focus of last year. But in many ways, that's a function of the, the insanely, uh, negligent policies of, of central banks, um, certainly since the, the global financial crisis of 2008, but in, in many ways um, before that. So the stock markets have a problem with that aspect. But in, in deflation, um, certainly with asset prices coming down, we can we can expect to see a, a bear trend in in stock markets uh, in the US and Europe and. Uh, that involves other asset uh, markets as well, such as property. So, Murray, you used the term insanely negligent just a minute ago to describe central bank policy. Uh, certainly, you'd get no argument from me. There are those guests I have on the program that suggest we are headed for a hyperinflationary outcome to this policy. Uh, it sounds like you might differ with that opinion. Uh, can you clarify that and just let me know why? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you know Ben, ben Bernanke. Uh, you know, back in the in the financial crisis, he joked that the Fed could always you know drop money from helicopters in a bid to avert deflation, um, and that's actually what's happened. You know, with the, with the stimulus checks that were mailed out to American households, there weren't any choppers in the sky, but there were certainly mail vans on the road uh, in that regard, and so. You know, what these stimulus checks did was a, was a form of debt cancellation, a kind of debt jubilee, as, as it's known when debts are simply cancelled. 
the, the, the stimmy checks have allowed US consumers to reduce their credit card bills, for example. And, and this is the issue. The, the amount of debt in the world is simply way too large now for it to be anything but a drag on, on growth. And that's why the central banks, led by the Fed, are actually, no matter what they say, they're actually pleased to see consumer price inflation so high, because apart from debt cancellation, it's it's one way of deflating uh, the debt. But we think you know, that the, the policy uh, is not going to succeed. You know, already you see the bond markets beginning to push back on the Fed. Um, they're forcing the Fed and they'll force other central banks to to, to raise rates um, at the short end of rates, uh, at least, uh, and that will not cause the, the fall in the stock markets because that's caused by a turn in social mood, but really um, it's uh, it will be added to, it will be adding to the fuel fuel to the fire of the uh, of the bed, of the of the bear market, and you know we can. We'll maybe come on to socioeconomics later, but from a socioeconomic point of view, where we look at things slightly differently in terms of the markets, like I said, leading the central bank, a socioeconomist would not put credit or blame the Fed for the for the changing trend that we're seeing at the moment in the stock markets, perhaps. But um, you know, we point out as socioeconomists that um, it was at the very top of the of the the broad market index in, in the US and the top of the NASDAQ in November, where the Fed finally you know, became optimistic enough to uh, risk announcing a program of uh, interest rates, uh, of raising interest rates. Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. Murray Gunn. Uh, the website to learn more about Elliott Wave is ElliottWave.com. Uh, you can visit the website and get a free book on Elliott Wave as well. And uh, Murray, in the next segment, I want to get into socionomics. Uh, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, we have time to have one more quick topic in this segment. You mentioned that the bond markets are, are now reacting to central bank policy. We're seeing interest rates move up uh, as of uh, the first of the year. Uh, what's your forecast for um, government bonds uh, worldwide, uh, in particular uh, the U.S.? Well, we, we, we see yield, bond yields um, continuing to rise. Uh, that's the trend. That's been the trend for a few months, and we certainly see that in the, in the Elliott Wave patterns um, that, we're, that we're looking at. You know, it was interesting. I mean, some people, I think, at the moment are, are quite taking the opposite view that they like corporate debt, and, and um, you know, the uh, particularly junk bonds. Um, and... Um, you know that's uh, it's worth uh, you know they think it's worth looking at because it, they, they say it does well in an accelerating consumer price inflation environment like that we're in at the moment. Um, you know, the, the, the theory is that uh, you know, higher uh, consumer price inflation means that companies can um, can increase prices, thereby increasing revenue in nominal terms. Uh, and at the same time, though, the amount of the amount of debt that the company owes via its bonds. Uh, remains the same, thereby decreasing its kind of real value and making it easier to service. So it's a kind of a win-win situation, um, and that's the same. You know, governments. That's why central banks are happy to see inflation because they think that they can inflate uh, away uh, the debt. Uh, but we don't think they're going to succeed in that. Well, my guest today, as I said, is Mr. Murray Gunn. You can get a free book. 
explaining the Elliott Wave analysis process by visiting ElliottWave.com. There's another website you should visit called Socionomics.com. I'll be talking with Murray on about that topic in the next segment when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen, your host. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest on today's program is Mr. Murray Gunn. Uh, if you are not with us for the first segment, uh, he is offering a free book to our listeners today explaining the Elliott Wave Analysis Principle. You can go to ElliottWave.com and get your free book. Uh, also, another site you should visit, Socionomics.net. And uh, Murray, let's just jump in on that topic. Uh, for our listeners that may not be familiar with socionomics, uh, I, I believe that is really a science that Elliott Wave uh, perhaps invented. Could you explain? Of course. Uh, Robert uh, Prechter, the uh, founder of uh, Elliott Wave International, uh, his um, socionomic theory is a field of study um, conducted under the hypothesis that, that waves of social mood uh, motivate the character of social actions. Not, it's not the other way around, as most people uh, believe. So um, the, the waves of social mood drive the stock market. And, the, and so the stock market is our gauge of uh, social mood, or sociometers, as we call it. Um, and our historical research has, has found that you know, positive social actions, such as peace, inclusion, consensus, uh, they tend to proliferate with a positive social mood and a rising stock market. And on the other hand, um, negative social actions, such as war, uh, exclusion, disharmony, they tend to proliferate with a, a negative social mood and uh declining stock market. So, Murray, when you look at the last couple of years, um, we've had uh, worldwide uh, reactions to uh, COVID-19. Um, many of these reactions, uh, you know, involved uh, lockdowns. Uh, how is social mood affected and how do you square that with a rising stock market? Well, it, it's certainly uh, an interesting uh, time to be alive uh, at the moment with regards to the uh, COVID pandemic. And, um, you know, what, what's interesting is uh, part of our research from a, a number of years ago in, on the, in the Socionomic Institute's, uh, Institute, they um, realized that uh, actually, you know, pandemics, global, global uh, flu pandemics can be uh, can emanate from uh, a negative social mood, uh, and uh, if you look at um, you know I know there's a debate about this about whether it actually uh, emanated from China, uh, but if you look at uh, the Chinese social mood, that's been that was in uh, you know a negative social mood for the last as I said mentioned for the last some of the last 14 years now, but when the pandemic started for the last uh, for for 12 years, so. With China's social mood having been in a in a 12-year negative trend, it's, it kind of fits with the the socioeconomic uh, aspect that um, 
negative social mood makes societies more susceptible to um, you know, flu pandemics or flu epidemics. So when you look at uh, socionomics and you just kind of analyze social mood now worldwide, what do you see? Well, there's various topics uh, at the moment, and, and of course, it's, um, there's always going to be a mixture of negative and positive um, uh, manifestations taking place uh, at the same time. So, for instance, China had its own thing had, it, had its own thing going on a couple of years ago. But if you look at um, you know something that's generic for the world uh, at the moment um, in relation to say. Uh, um, Sociometer like the global stock market, as I say, dominated by the US weighting, but um, you know the global stock market index has been in a, in a bull market for the last decade at least. Um, uh, but if we look at something like uh, what's happening with the, the green uh, revolution and um, the, the boom in uh, ESG or uh, environmental, social, and governance uh, as it's known, um, you know this sort of Soft capitalism, where people are saying, "Well, actually, you know, um, we we, uh, we want to take back the, the kind of ethos of capitalism, and we want to make it all cozy and cuddly." Um, you know, this kind of happens uh, at the top of um, markets, uh, top of market cycle, and the top. Of the, it comes after a period of positive social mood. It encourages people to feel this way. Um, you know. And so I think that that's a, certainly a manifestation and a, an indication that um, positive social mood has, uh, you know, reached such an extreme where, you know, even we've got, um, you know, millionaires and billionaires now saying, well, please tax us more. We want to uh, be taxed more. They, maybe they see the rise of, of inequality. Um, and that's another aspect which is which is um, consistent with the top in the market. So last time, really, we had this kind of wealth gap uh, globally uh, between the sort of one percent and the rest. Uh, that was in the late 1920s. Interesting that uh, you you bring that up, Murray. The late 1920s, because there there seems to be a lot of parallels from a social mood perspective uh, between the the Roaring Twenties. And what we're seeing now, um, do you anticipate that uh, stock markets, uh, given that socionomics can, can kind of predict uh, the stock market or vice versa, do you anticipate a decline in the markets um, based on your socionomic research on par with what we saw uh, from 1929 to the mid-30s? Well, certainly sentiment is um, just as bullish if not more so than it, than it was at the end of the 1920s. I mean, um, if you look at what's happening with sentiment, you know, fund or sentiment indicators, fund uh, investment fund cash allocations are at all-time lows. Household exposure to financial assets is at all-time all -time highs. These are leverage and debt in the financial markets. It's all-time all -time highs. Um, Sentiment surveys are at extremes, and um, you know retail um, trading has been uh, at an extreme uh, as well. Um, and you know more money, more money was poured into global equity funds in 2021 than over the past two decades combined. 
And, and so the fact that that's occurring after a, a decade-long rise in the global stock market index is a sign of speculative excess. But um, you know, what, what specifically talking about 1929, one uh, aspect which uh, I was chuckling at the other day was when I was actually uh, getting my hair cut and um, the 19-year-old barber was asking my opinion about investing in uh, uh, non-fungible tokens, which is part of the sort of whole crypto uh, bubble. So I thought, oh, oh here's, uh, here's the sort of 2022 uh, rhyme with um, the, the shoeshine boy analogy of 1929. <laughs> exactly what it is. Yeah, so uh, so let's let's talk about sentiment because I think that's an indicator that uh, many times uh, other analysts really don't focus on. But um, talk talk a bit about you know the market turning points and and sentiment and just the historical pr- predictability of that, if you could please. Sure. Well, I mean, um, you know, there's there's. Um say we look at fund cash allocations, we look at um, things that have historically happened in the past. I think um, you know things like the SPACs bubble, which is which is kind of deflated a wee bit already, which is which is kind of a warning sign. Uh, but the SPACs bubble um, has echoes of what happened 300 years ago in the South Sea and Mississippi bubbles, um, when you know IPOs uh, for nothing for no schemes at all were. were um, were booming, and um, you know one the famous one, of course, particularly involves someone telling the crowd in London uh, during that time in 1720 during the South Sea bubble that uh, he was raising money for uh, an undertaking of great advantage, but nobody to know what it is, which is which is basically just what a spank is these days, uh, and so th- this is the modern day equivalent. But um, you know also there's, there's a an interesting aspect with regard to technical analysis and sentiment, uh, and there's a huge warning sign coming from the market now, and that's to do with the uh, what we call the, the breadth of the rally. So it's really only a handful of stocks which dominate the Dow and the, the S&P 500, uh, which have held the indices, those indices up. And if you look, if you look under the hood, um, the vast majority of stocks are already in bear markets, and so it's this narrowness of the rally, which is a, a classic end-of-trend technical analysis uh, warning flag. So, so that's from the sort of particular data. But there's one, there's another aspect which we were looking at the, um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, um, which we think you know could be the, the cherry uh, on top of the icing on the cake, really, in terms of sentiment. So um, what, it, what it involves is something called the magazine cover. Uh, indicator, and um, so this was um, this was found by a, a, a man called Paul McCrae Montgomery, um, and um, what it is was he realised that um, he used Time magazine for his initial studies, and uh, he realised that whenever a, a theme or a fad reaches the cover of Time, it usually marks the end uh, or a significant pause in the mania. So. Um, he, Elliott Wave International's uh, Peter Kendall has written uh, a lot about this uh, indicator over the years, and there's three criteria which must be met. Firstly, the, ma- the magazine um, must be a mainstream publication, uh, not a specific financial product. Uh, the subject really must to do must be to do with the, the sort of current zeitgeist reaching a climax, and um, 
The last one is there has to have been significant asset price gains in the period immediately prior to the sort of magazine cover appearing. So one of the most famous occurrences was uh, at the end of 1929 when Time magazine featured Jeff Bezos uh, on its front cover as its person of the year. And of course, you know, in the, in the, two, in the years prior to, to, to that happening, uh, I think Amazon was up you know, 8,500% or something like that. Um, the mania, the dot-com mania was reaching a crescendo. Uh, and of course, uh, that appeared in December 1999, just before the, the, the crash. Um, and of course, people forget that that crash took out 95% of uh, Amazon's value over the next couple of years. But if fast forward to you know, where we are now, December 2021, 20, and of course Time magazine releases its, its person the year with Elon Musk uh, adorning the, 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 you know, the front cover. Uh, and of course, it fulfills all the criteria. Tesla's advanced by, you know, I think, 41,000-ish percent from 2011. So it definitely tells us that from that specific uh, indicator point of view in terms of sentiment, Well, my guest today has been Mr. Murray Gunn. Uh, if you would like to get a copy of a free book explaining the Elliott Wave analysis theory, you can go to ElliottWave.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Socionomics, you can go to Socionomics.net. Uh, Murray, always a pleasure to catch up with you, and I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today, and I'd love to have you back down the road. Many thanks, Dennis. It's been, it's been great. We will return after these words. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and thanks again to Mr. Murray Gunn for joining us on today's program. Well, if you're just tuning in in the first segment of today's program, which you can go back and listen to at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, I talked about an article written by Egon von Greyerts this past week that talked about the fact that in real terms, Stocks did not recover from the 1929 crash until the mid-60s. We also talked about the fact that debt, or easy credit, is bubble fuel. And you cannot have a bubble unless you have easy credit. And I think the analysis, as I'll go through in this segment, tells you that stocks and property and other assets are likely in a bubble, as I talked about with my guest, Mr. Murray Gunn, on this week's program. Now, this debt problem has existed for a very long time, and in my view, it may be culminating presently. And also, if you're just joining me, I'd like to send you some information to help you navigate the climate that lies ahead. Go to requestyourreport.com, and I'll not only send you this month's free report, I'll also send you some bonus information, including the revenue sourcing book that contains strategies to consider for this environment. Now, the United States, as a country, has not had a budget surplus since 1930. There's an exception of a couple years in the 40s and 50s. The Clinton surpluses um, were really not surpluses. Those were accounting gimmicks. If you have a surplus, debt goes down. 
in those years, debt still increased. So we're going to we're going to call that an accounting gimmick. So the U.S. for the most part has been running deficits since the Great Depression. This all accelerated in 1971 when Nixon couldn't make ends meet and he closed the gold window. Prior to 1971, as we've discussed here on the program many times, the U.S. dollar was exchangeable for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. That stopped in 1971, and that allowed for debt to really begin to build as the dollar became a fiat currency. Now, in 1971, U.S. federal debt was $400 billion. Since then, U.S. debt has grown by an average of 9% per year. Now, if we were to look at the last couple of years, it's off the charts, but let's just look at that. For those of you familiar with the law of 72, if debt grows by 9% per year, that means since 1971, U.S. debt has doubled every eight years. Now, you can actually go all the way back to 1931 when dollars were created to combat the symptoms of the Great Depression. And all the way back to 1931, U.S. debt has doubled every 8.3 years, so just about every nine years or so. So if you go back to 1913, when the Federal Reserve was founded, U.S. federal debt has gone from $1 billion to roughly $30 trillion. It reminds me of a quote by Mayor Rothschild, who stated in 1838, quote, Permit me to issue and control the money of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. Pretty interesting quote. But how does this apply to you? Well, I would argue that stocks are in a bubble. Now, say you disagree with me. We could at least agree, based on the data I'm about to share with you, that there's probably more downside risk in stocks than there is upside growth potential. And permit me to give you just a couple examples. Let's start with a price-earnings ratio. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with what a price-earnings ratio is, let me explain it with an example. It's simply the price of a share of stock divided by the earnings per share of stock. So, for example, if a stock is selling for $20 a share and the issuing company's earnings are $2 a share, then the price-to-earnings ratio of the stock is 10. $20 cost per share, $2 earnings per share, $20 divided by 2 is 10. Well, a stock with a price-to-earnings ratio of 10 might be more favorably valued than a stock with a price-earnings ratio of 20. After all, in one case, if I invest $10, I get back a dollar in earnings. In the second case, I have to invest 20 to get back the same dollar in earnings. Now, to be fair, there are other factors that enter into stock evaluation. However, if we purely look at the Schiller price-earnings ratio, which is inflation-adjusted, we can go all the way back to 1870 and see that PEs adjusted for inflation have only been higher in 1999. They're 30% higher than they were in 1929. Now, there's another big-picture stock valuation tool that's often used to look at the value of stocks. It's now referred to as the Buffett indicator after Warren Buffett suggested it was his favorite stock market valuation tool. And basically, that is the total value of stocks the total market capitalization of stocks divided by 
economic output or gross domestic product. Now, there was an article recently published, and this article was published on MSNBC, and I want to give you just a bit from this article. Quote, Warren Buffett's favorite market gauge climbed to 211% this week, sounding the alarm on U.S. stocks and signaling a crash may be coming. The Buffett indicator takes the combined market capitalization of all U.S. traded stocks and divides it by gross domestic product. Buffett said that if you buy stocks when the metric approaches 200%, you are, quote, playing with fire. And here we are at 211%, much higher than it was in 2007, much higher than it was in 1999. So my question again to you is, what are you doing in your IRA and 401k to potentially protect yourself from these possible outcomes? I'd like to invite you to request some free resources we're making available today. Go to requestyourreport.com. I'll not only send you the January special report titled The Changing Face of Long-Term Medical Care, I will also send you a copy of the best-selling revenue sourcing book, which contains a retirement planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy. So again, to get all that information, it'll come to you in a giant box of stuff at no cost and obligation. Go to requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail it, and I will be very glad to get that information out to you. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I will be back again next week.